The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was born and grew up in Japan, where the New Year is the biggest and most august holiday of all the holidays. And it lasts 3 to 21 days. And especially during the first three days of the year, the streets are crowded with people in their best kimono, um, people making visits to the shrine and temple, and also making rounds of visits with their usually relatives. And during the week leading up to the New Year Day, people clean their home thoroughly. It's a very, almost a ritual, special cleaning. And women cook the elaborate special New Year dishes, and each dish has meanings and symbols. usually relates to the wish-making for the God of New Year that will be, will be about to descend. And the dishes are offered to the God that bring in the new year. And at midnight, all over Japan, the, the monks and priests at Buddhist temple ring their great outdoor gong or bell. You know, it's as big as six, seven feet. They ring it 108 times to chase away the 108 defilement or evils. So when the sun of the new year rises, it's literally called the first sunrise. And the whole world then is symbolically renewed by the light of the first light, the sunrise. And so on the first day of the year, everything seems bright and clean and shine. I have been living in the United States for almost 50 years, and I no longer miss things that are Japanese. Well, almost. (laughs) But the New Year is one holiday unlike any other here. And it wasn't the festivities so much that that I miss so much, but it's, it's being part of the collective cleaning up of the past year's grime and all together making space for something not known and divine to come in. The collective renewal seemed magical and inspiring. So here in this country, too, we look to New Year as a time to renew our promise to be better, healthier, happier, more successful. I heard on the public radio last week that January 3rd is the um, busiest day at the gym, all the gyms. (laughs) And it's the most active day of the year for online dating. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that makes sense. So this is the time many of us um, renew our commitment for daily sitting practice or practices to become kinder, healthier, more awakened person. Um, 
one of the featured articles of the week of this week's um, Lion's Roar, which is a, a Buddhist online magazine that I get. It, uh, it's come from Chambala Sun. The, the The article has a title that said, "How to Establish a Daily Practice of Almost Anything in Six Steps." <laughs> when we hear a title like that, our ears perk up, don't they? We like clear, easy steps for success. The article describes the importance of making an intention. Yes, makes sense. The usefulness of reward system. Some of us need reward. And oh yes, be sure to track your progress by recording. It's the hardest part. These steps are tried and true strategy. They suggest a structure for accomplishing a goal or a resolution. And they can be very helpful, especially if we tend to feel lost or distractible. And we find there's a time such a list doesn't work. At times like that, it's good to examine if we are bringing an old self old way of thinking to create something new. We forget to examine that sometime. A joke goes, I said no to drugs, but they wouldn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) For a life to open up to something fresh, alive, and engaged, we need an attitude of a beginner's mind, a mind that is open, receptive, and curious. Suzuki Roshi, who wrote the classic Zen mind, beginner's mind, said, the goal of practice is to always keep our beginner's mind. He said, in the mind of the beginner, there are all the possibilities, and in the mind of an expert, only a few. Beginner's mind is a mind that is not limited by agenda, roles, expectations. Instead, it's willing to be intimate with experience, with curiosity and attentiveness as it is happening. So a beginner's mind is a mind that opens wide beyond any perception of a problem. Some of my kids are here and they heard about this. Just the other day, by super freaky accident, I locked myself out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) But because I have been reflecting on this topic, I asked myself, what would it be to bring a beginner's mind to this situation? So I just kind of backed off and made space from my thinking mind that was in a panic. I relaxed into noticing what was happening in me and around me, opening to and inviting the experience of the moment to be fully received. I noticed I felt lucky to be 
warm in my jacket and in my winter boots. It was before the arctic blast of windchill 20 below. <laughs> uh, I was lucky there too. I was not in a hurry to get any place. And with relief, I tapped on the iPhone in my pocket. Sometimes unexpected things happen. Um, Something unexpected happened, and I became interested in this new unfolding of the day. I watched the mind grasping for a solution while my heart stayed open and caring, caring about me caring about the situation. So my body relaxed in the soft layers of my jacket, and my face was wrapped in a circle of fake furs of my hood, the hood of the jacket. So after checking all my pockets for the key for many, many times, I went to the neighbor on the right side to see if they had my key as the neighbor, as neighbors, we exchanged the keys. Well, the neighbor on the right side were not home. So I went to the neighbor on the left side, and they didn't answer the door, and there was no light in the house, even though it was daytime. Then I walked back to my front porch, feeling both my poignant vulnerability and a strange faith in our resistance, resilience, knowing somehow I was going to be okay. And I wasn't lost in my frantic, problem-solving head. Instead, feeling space inside of me and around me. What was there if there was no problem to be solved? There was just presence. And what is here right now if there is no problem to be solved? Are you game for a little experiment together with me? So please close your eyes and say this question to yourself. What is here now if there is no problem to solve? Just be open and breathe with the question. What is here now when there is no problem to solve? What do you notice? What is being revealed? what might have disappeared. So you can open your eyes now. And anyone want to share what you noticed? A deeper breath. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Persistence. You notice it was there. 
Yes. So you notice the problem. So there's awareness. And then awareness noticing the problem. I'm going to talk more about that. Thank you. Who else? Okay? Anxiety. Okay. Yeah. Good. Sense of so a bunch of people nodded. There's a rest um sense of peace and restfulness, okay? I just noticed the sangha. You noticed the sangha? Uh huh. I felt more complete. You notice the sangha, hundred plus people who may not be having problems right this moment. Uh-huh. Um, I just sat up straighter. I just it felt easier to sit up straighter. Sat up straighter and found it easier to be that. Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you. So we'll come back more to some of the comments later. So beginner's mind is an open and patient mind. I was in the end of the year retreat that ended about 10 days ago and the theme was on patience. Patience is one of the 10 beautiful qualities of mind to cultivate called paramis. So Mark talked about three approaches to patience. The first is to make space and the second is to find ways to persevere without straining. And the third is to see the truth of what is. We cannot see the Dhamma, the truth of what is, without some sense of space. The patience of beginner's mind comes from opening to that sense of space around the situation and not just be lost in the thinking mind. The thinking mind doesn't go away. It's always there. Some people notice, you notice the problem, you notice the anxiety. It doesn't just go away. But there's a space to notice it. We notice the thinking, but we can back out enough to see the thoughts as something that arises and passes away in a space of awareness. Beginner's mind is a mind that is open to the unknown, that holds infinite possibilities. So let's take a moment to explore what this openness, this space, is really about. We know the thinking mind's function is to define, evaluate, judge, etc. So it's designed to separate, divide, and make reality into something finite, and manageable. It's actually the opposite of openness. We, we do need this thinking mind to navigate certain demands in our daily life. Thanks for that. Confusion and suffering arise when we mistake this thinking mind for who we are, when we identify with it. We are in the habit of seeing the world and ourselves from this thinking mind until we are shown otherwise. 
We forget that thinking is something that is known by something other than the thinking mind. Thinking is the object of thinking is the ob- object of awareness, something that is known by awareness. Jack Cornfield, one of the founders of Spirit, Spirit Rock Meditation Center in California, said, "Unless we grasp grasp the na- the nature and function of awareness, it is impossible to live wisely." And that's a drastic statement. Unless we grasp the nature and function of awareness, it's impossible to live wisely. There's no wisdom in the thinking mind itself. But, you know, we understand very little about awareness because unlike the objects of the phenomenal world of causes and conditions, awareness itself cannot be directly known. A lineage of Tibetan Buddhism described the reasons why this way. So close you can't see it. So subtle your mind can't understand it. So simple you can't believe it. So good you can't accept it. Awareness is not subject to causes and conditions. So one condition cannot know another condition. It has no color or smell or form, and it's completely neutral. It's always present. But awareness can be known only through the inference of its object being known. We know the world through the objects of awareness, yet the awareness is the source of all knowing. Have we thought about that? It is the infinite ground on which phenomena come, comes and goes. So because of this difficulty in grasping the nature of awareness, the confusion persists in all of us, resulting in identification with thoughts of self, and we are drawn into believing in thought world as if that's all of the reality. For example, I am a terrible person is a thought. Can you see that? It's a thought. But if you couldn't see this as a thought, separate from you, as a phenomena, known by awareness, then you would believe the thought as if it tells the truth about you. The thought becomes personal, and it becomes all about you. So in order to be congruent with what you believe, you act like a terrible person. The thinking mind scans the field for phenomena and occurrences that supports this belief. And pretty soon others see your actions and respond to you accordingly. You seem like a terrible person. (laughs) And before you know it, you believe you are a terrible person to the core. Through and through. And the world seems to agree. And it 
all started with a thought. And there's no beginner's mind there, but a lot of suffering. When we eat salty food, we notice it through the sense of taste. The salty taste is known. But tasting the salt doesn't turn us into salt, does it? Experiencing a particular thought about yourself doesn't turn you into what the thought said who you are. What you think you are is not who you are. It's hard to remember the awareness behind every knowing, and it's there all the time. Our body is subject to time. But awareness is not subject to time. There's a, a little story Jack Cornfield tells in uh, Wise Heart. Um, he, he talked about one day looking in the mirror. You know, he was doing a lot of awareness practice, and then he looked in the mirror, and he saw an old guy, and he was shocked. <laughs> and he said... Um, He said, because awareness, it's only body that gets old. Awareness doesn't get old. And we keep on forgetting that. One way to have some understanding of awareness, to use the analogy of space. The space is in us and all around us. I think most of us know that Adam is made up of 99.99999% space. In this room, there are more than 100 people. It seems crowded because we are used to noticing the objects. Whatever we are seeing right now are the objects of awareness. But actually, there's more space here than people and things. There's so much space here that we don't notice. Space is not dividable. Space goes on and on beyond our imagination, beyond science, beyond religious beliefs. And without space, we do not exist. But we take it totally for granted, like fish not knowing water because it's in it. One of my favorite stories is that I reflect often is, um, is this. Chogen Trumpa, most of you probably know, a Tibetan teacher who died young came to America in, uh, to teach in the 70s. He was teaching to a bunch of young American students, at that time, probably a bunch of hippies, about the nature of mind. And at one point, he grabbed a blank sheet of paper, and on it, he drew a stick figure of something that looked like a bird in flight. And he held up the paper to the students and asked, What do you see? 
And the students hesitated because it seemed so obvious that it's a bird. So they stayed quiet. They thought, well, maybe this is a trick question. (laughs) And finally, a student said, I see a bird. And he said, no. No. What you see, holding up the paper with a stick figure of bird, said, what do you see is space. What you see is lines in the space. It's like that. The space is so pervasive and so obvious, we miss it all the time. Awareness is like that. But it is possible to cultivate our mind to include awareness of space in our practice. Awareness of space has contributed to deepen the quality of presence in my practice. So let's do another experiment. Um, I'm going to hold this red mitten. Can you all see this red mitten? I I see there's a a person with um, difficulty seeing. Is it possible for you to imagine a red mitten? What's that? You can imagine it. So, thank you. Uh, Please bear with me because I don't have a lot of practice of doing visual experience with a a person with a seeing difficulty. Yeah, if you have feedback at the end, please let me know. So here's the red mitten, my favorite pop. Um, So the mitten is the object of your awareness. And just because you see this mitten, you know you don't turn into the mitten, right? (laughs) The mitten is known. It is known by awareness because of your eyes. And even though you cannot directly know your awareness itself, you can tell the awareness is here. And it's not the same as the object of your awareness. This is the mitten that you're seeing, and this is not your awareness. This is the object of your awareness. So it's the mitten that comes and goes. Awareness doesn't. Mitten is gone. Mitten is back. Awareness is noticing all that. We are in it like fish in water. So please remember in this way, Thoughts are the object of awareness and not who we are. Now, please look at the mitten again. I want everybody to be able to see that. And I would like you to continue looking at the space where the mitten is right now. Even after I remove the mitten. And can we stay with this experience for a moment? What do you notice now? What are you aware of? Your mind clings to image. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, 
So when the mitten was gone, so what happened to the space here? You fill <laughs> you, you filled it up, okay? Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. For me, it was sort of startling. Uh huh. For you, it was startling, and the world suddenly got bigger. Uh huh. Okay. As hard as I tried, I couldn't visualize it being there. It was. You know, I couldn't trick myself into saying, "Well, it's still there," because I could just see the space. Like it's empty, empty space. So you could see the empty space, and when you saw the empty space, what happened? What did you notice? Right. So it was solid truth that was space. Okay? I was aware of a sense of space that I felt hadn't been before. And what was it like to notice that? Open. Open. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And what was it like to notice that sense of space? It was good. It was good. Less attachment. Less attachment. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. You had something to add? <laughs> So you became aware of that. So you saw the mitten as an object of seeing, and then the thought happened, and you notice that's a, that's another object of your awareness. Good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. 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 Because we are not noticing what, what, what is here. Because, because here is mitten, what's here? It's space. We are not used to noticing that. And what it's like to cultivate noticing more. So, beginner's mind is a mind that is open to space, that's available at all times without efforting. Beginner's mind is a mind that's curious and interested, not just to what is known, but particularly to to watch how unknown and unseen keep on revealing themselves in surprising ways. So when I sat on the front porch, locked out of my own house, I was interested in knowing the thoughts of my mind, the emotions that came up, and shift it around. And the breath, breathing itself in the whole body. I was watching myself, watching. And it was that watching that 
that seem so steady and present in unexpected situations. I think that was what gave me the confidence to know that all was going to be well, because I was aware of the part that was watching. I could rely on that. So I settled on the wicker chair on the porch and watched my mind wander without looking for a solution. In the relaxed mind, ideas I couldn't think before floated in. And it occurred to me that I know where my neighbors keep their secret key (laughs) outside. It's like, oh, (laughs) can I go in their house to look for my key? And I have my cell phone. So when I called my neighbor to ask, they said they were just a couple minutes away from home. Just sit tight and we'll get you the key, they said. And within five minutes, I was inside the warm house, appreciating the whole experience. Instead of feeling like I wasted my time, I had an experience worth noting and so rich in learning. So a beginner's mind is also an attentive mind. It leans into suffering and difficulties with kindness. When there's willingness to engage with the fragile and unpredictable world with interest and attentiveness, we become open to love, love that is just as available and all around and in us like space. Christina Feldman, another well-known Buddhist teacher, said, our capacity to heal suffering and cause suffering live side by side. Run from suffering is to deny life and live in fear. How can we respond to suffering that is fabric of our life? It's hard to open our heart to suffering, yet it's the only way to transform, to be free. And Rumi said, pay attention to wounded place. That's where the light comes in. The beginner's mind that is open and attentive to all possibilities knows how not to put anything outside our heart. And Stephen Levine similarly said, to heal is to touch with love that which was touched by fear. And finally, the beginner's mind is a don't know mind. I saw a YouTube interview of a 99-year-old performance dancer, this is real, about to turn to 100. I think she was still dancing. And she was asked, how do you feel about turning 100? And she said, I feel excited because I've never been 100 before. (laughs) We have never experienced this new year, 2016, before. It's brand new and unknown. Can we bring beginner's mind to that? We never experienced this coming week before, ever. Can we be open with amazement and wonder as to what will unfold this week? We have never experienced this moment before. 
What can be known in this present moment in the infinite space of awareness and love? We have never experienced a future moment. And so that makes all of us a beginner. Not only today is a new day, this present moment is completely new for every single one of us. Can we afford to not be curious and attentive? So I, with just a couple minutes left, so I conclude this talk with a poem by Mary Oliver. It's called When Death Comes. And when I'm finished, let's just sit quietly for a moment, aware of the space and aware of comings and goings in the space, and ask yourself, what is being known now? When death comes, like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from his purse to buy me, and snaps the purse shut. When death comes like the, me- like the measle pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. What is being known here, now? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.